So you want to work in healthcare, but you're not sure where to start. I'm Leah, your host of this podcast, and I'm bringing you the inside scoop on healthcare professions. From doctors to PAs to healthcare administrators and CRNAs, my goal is to let professionals tell their stories and give honest reviews of the careers they have chosen. So whether you're considering a job in healthcare or you simply have an interest in what we do, this show is for you. Welcome to the So You Want to Work in Healthcare podcast. Today, I have Caitlin Patrick and Gina St. Jean, and they are both nurses on the boss nursing level, and you'll find out why in a few minutes, but this is our first twofer, which I'm really excited about. We got two guests today, so welcome, guys. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Katie is currently at Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, Massachusetts. She has been a nurse now for 16 years. And Gina has 20 years of experience as a nurse educator and a director of professional nursing practice. So we're just going to get right into it. Awesome. Sounds good. So the first question I ask everybody is why medicine? And for you guys, why nursing? We'll get to that later. But like, what made each of you want to go into the healthcare field? So honestly, when I was applying for college, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I applied to UMass Amherst and a couple other colleges. And at UMass, I applied to the College of Nursing, but also the business college. And I, at the time, um, it was an application and you got accepted in. And so I had got accepted into the nursing school and kind of went with it. Honestly, I don't have any really like family history of people working in healthcare or anything like that. A lot of times people will share their story like they had some life-changing story of why they entered healthcare. And that really wasn't the case for me. It was something that I just kind of grew into and ended up loving and it's my passion. Cool. How about you, Gina? Um, So mine's a little different. I don't have any family in nursing, but my childhood best friend that grew up with me went into nursing school after high school. And I I remember we laughed and said, you know, really, we're not super compassionate people. But um, so then there I am, I finished uh, my associate's degree and sitting on her couch and said, what the heck am I going to do? And she said, you should go into nursing. And we laughed again, because we're not, you know, and um, I went into it, I got a nurse's aide. Uh, license and I loved it and I sort of hate the fact that she was right about me. So here I am. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I guess the next question would be why nursing? You kind of already answered that a little bit, but you you got accepted into the program and then I know a lot of people change courses or not. What kept you on the nursing path? I just, I liked the closeness that you had to the patients, you know, kind of as you gain more responsibility in medicine, you're kind of a little bit more of a step away, you could say. Um, And I just liked the level of school, the, you know, what you needed to go through school to be, to stay there as a nurse. And then it also opened up a lot of options. Like if I did, you know, I ended up ultimately going back to get my master's degree, but there was a lot of different things you can do within nursing. So I felt like I just had a lot of opportunities. And what is your title now? I am the program director for nursing outcomes, improvement and magnet. Wow. Okay. When did you get that title? It's been about uh, two years now. Tell me your journey, because uh, I know you kind of, I think, came into the leadership role pretty early on in your career, and I think our listeners and viewers will really appreciate understanding how you did that. Yeah, so I um, I graduated from nursing school, UMass Amherst, and I was doing my clinical rotations at Bay State, my senior leadership rotation, um, and everybody I was working with at the time as a student were like, you should come work here. So I applied, got a job on a surgical intermediate care nurse um, as a bedside nurse and I did that for 10 years 
loved it, was able to professionally climb um, what we call a clinical ladder. So you advance um, professionally, you know, an RN1, RN2, and so on. Um, So while I was advancing the clinical ladder, I did go back to school and get my master's degree. Um, I found that in my role as a bedside nurse, I was teaching a lot, mentoring new staff, students, um, and I was a charge nurse. So I, I did like that leadership aspect and also being able to teach and train people. Yeah. And so when I went back and got my master's degree, I became a nurse educator. What was your master's degree in? Nursing. Oh, okay. So actually concentration, a clinical nurse leader kind of specialty, which is my what my certification is in. Okay. How long was that program? How long did it take you to do your master's? I did it part-time through UMass. So it was three years. Okay. It would have been two years if I had done it full-time. Right. So like after work and before Correct. work. Yeah. I was okay. still working full-time and, you know, having kids. So it was a lot all at once. Yeah. When were you done with that program? I graduated with my master's in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after, so in about a year after I got my master's, I got a nurse educator position and I did that for a year. So I was responsible for a telemetry medical unit. So all the different medical comorbidities. It was really interesting. Very different from my surgical background. Yeah. And so I did that for a year before I was kind of recruited to take on a manager position. Okay. And it sounds like you were recruited kind of during COVID. So right. And I went into the manager position that was just before COVID. Oh, wow. It was in, I want to say September of 19. Yeah. Because I remember during COVID, you were like, yeah, you had a lot going on. I had a lot going on. Was it tough to just like be kind of thrown into that and then have COVID happen a year later? It it wasn't. It wasn't because honestly, it was like it was a brand new role. So I got hired as the manager of nursing outcomes improvement. And I was working alongside a different manager at the time for professional practice. So us kind of together were learning the roles. And um, we had all the nurse educators. Then we restructured the department. So they started uh, reporting to us. So while we were doing the restructure is when COVID happened happened. So we weren't really focusing on that job. We were just focusing on whatever needed to happen in the moment, which was the virus changing everything. And so we were just educating people like constantly on all the new practices. Protocols that were constantly changing week by week. Week by week. We had a daily update that we put out because everything changed so rapidly. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And that brings you to where you are now. Yeah. So um, I did that for about a year, maybe. And then um, I took on our magnet recognition program and so with that came a promotion into the director role and so that's here I am and do you are you happy where you are now I love what I do right now it's so great I like the level of responsibility I have an amazing team and colleague obviously um and it's just it's really great impactful work so I love it Awesome. All right, Gina, let's start from the beginning. (laughs) Did you go to undergrad for any sort of medical background or did you kind of just find yourself in nursing? So I got my associate's degree in liberal arts and just sort of said, now what? And uh, my childhood friend said, you should go into nursing. I applied to AIC in Springfield and got in and um, like a light bulb went off. I was like, I love this. I remember my mother saying, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm studying. (laughs) Because I just wanted to know more. And so I loved it. Graduated in 96. And surprisingly, there were no jobs in 96. Really? 
I was a um, student nurse apprentice at Bay State, couldn't get a job and had to leave and go work in a nursing home. Oh, wow. Interesting. And then about a year later, I got a job at Mercy Hospital. About a year in, I transferred into their ICU and fell in love. Like I loved having two patients that I could do all the things for and just felt like I gave really good care. And so after a couple years there, uh, I sort of thought I'm just not learning anymore. And I had an itch to learn some more. And someone said, you should go to Bay State and work in their cardiac ICU. And I thought, okay. And I did. (laughs) And I loved it. And I was learning so many things. And so I stayed there for probably 18 years. I was a charge nurse. And my favorite thing was precepting and being in charge and just being a resource. I loved being able to help the nurses, you know, just like when you care for patients, you love helping the patients. It was sort of the same thing, but helping my colleagues. And then I remember one day AIC asking me if I could help teach a clinical. And I said, sure. And I'm teaching it. And they said, oh, we'll give you credits towards your master's. I was like, what master's? (laughs) And so here I am enrolled in a master's program. I felt like I got played a little. Um, And then when I graduated with my master's, I loved it. And I, um, my floor cardiac ICU had an educator position open. I applied for it and I stayed there for about seven years. I just loved it. I loved being able to resource and support them. And I think the thing I love the most about education is making the nurses feel confident about themselves and making them feel good. It's almost like being a parent to me. When I see them feel good, I just feel great. Like I've contributed. That's important. Yeah. So I did that until about 2019. And, um, I, career-long mentor left to take a uh, director of nursing job down in Connecticut. And she said to me, I need a director of nursing. And I sort of was like, education, administration, and why not? So I went down to Connecticut and was a director of nursing for a smaller hospital. And then COVID hit. Uh And uh, wow. So (laughs) seven days a week trying to support the team. And then they went on strike. So that was another interesting thing. At one point, um, I found out my husband was um, sick and I decided to come home and I called Bay State and said, what do you have? And they said to me, well, we need an educator in the ER. And I said, well, I'm not an ER nurse. And they said, well, we'd like you to interview anyway. So I was intrigued and I went down there and interviewed and they said to me, so what makes you think you can educate in the ER if you've never been an ER nurse? And I said, well, that's kind of my question for you. (laughs) So I said, flip it around. Right. I said, so tell me what kind of patient stresses you out the most. And they said, critical care. I said, I've got you all day. If you teach me to be an ER nurse, I'll teach you to be a critical care nurse. And it was the best year of my career. I learned so much from them and they were some of the best people I've ever worked with. Very, very kind. And while I was down there, my my um, director, who had been in the role, said, um, I'm leaving, I'm relocating, and we'd like you to be interim. And I thought, okay, sure. You know, life just has a way of taking you places. Yeah. And so I stepped into the interim role, met Katie. <laughs> we hit it off amazingly. And um, I've been there ever since, and I just love it. I feel like I get to support now the educators. Awesome. It just kind of like worked out for you. It really kind of did. Like you said, it just takes you places. And you said yes, which I think is important, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you were uncomfortable, and it ended up being the best year of your life. It did. I, I mean, I'm not afraid of an adventure, and I've been told I don't scare easy. So <laughs> I think Good. when you work in cardiac ICU, you can't. Yeah. But I think think, you know, just being willing to take a chance has been really good for me. Yeah, totally. All right. So you guys both have your master's, but your, your master's is in nursing as well. It's in nursing administration. Okay, Interestingly, cool. I was going to do education and I thought 
I'm not going into academia. I want to know how to get people to mm-hmm. come to my classes. And yeah. So I decided to do administration. Okay. So one of the most common questions I get on my Instagram and TikTok is how did I pay for PA school? Like what was the cost and is it worth it? And all these things. So can you guys like run me through the cost of nursing school and then a master's? Um, So I'll be completely honest. I'm still paying for my bachelor's degree. Um, Like I said, I've been out of school for almost 16 years now. And I think at the time being young and broke and trying to do it all, you know, I still have um, those loans. Not many. I'm so close. Yay. I know. I'm like, I can't wait to pay that off. Uh, Fortunately enough, though, I don't have any debt from my master's. I was lucky enough that my employer base date will credit you a certain amount of money every semester as long as you have passing grades. My husband works for the state, so I was able to go back to a state school and get half tuition. So I just paid as I went and it just worked out really well. The cost, I honestly, I don't remember. Do you remember what, how much yours was? I just remember going slower because you get a certain amount of tuition reimbursement every year. So I remember thinking if I can drag it out three years, I get three years of tuition reimbursement. So I remember I probably paid, it was $2,500 a year tuition reimbursement. I probably paid that out of pocket too. There was also a forgivable loan program that I took advantage of that helped a little bit. I want to say my undergrad was probably about 40 grand, maybe a little bit more, but I also took out some extra money to help with like cost of living. I went to UMass. This was, you know, 15 years ago. So it's the price has gone up oh, a yeah. lot. We had to do clinical rotations. And so we had to pay for like the supplies, the stethoscope, the scrubs, all the things, the badge. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there was a little extra money out of pocket. We had to pay for that. Well, I mean, definitely doable. We all have loans. I feel not all of us, yeah. but a lot of us in the medical field have come out with a lot of loans. I came out with from undergrad and PA school. I came out with $260,000 in debt. That's a but lot. luckily I did the public service loan forgiveness program and I just got my loans forgiven in July and I am completely debt free. And I was so jealous amazing. when I saw that. I'm like, I want mine forgiven. But I took a chance, though, like a lot of people told me it was a scam and I believed them for a while because when people first started applying for this program, people were getting denied. So even though Bay State, I guess, would be considered an employer you can do that with, like a a public service employer. So even though they worked for the right employer, they made all the right payments, like they were just getting denied. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to you? You got denied? I got denied, yeah. Oh, no. But can you reapply now? I can try. I mean, honestly, I'm under 3,000. It's almost just not even worth the headache. Yeah, unless they want to back pay you should look into it three grand i mean i could do a lot with that so but it's a big deal like people i think are deterred from the medical field because they feel like they can't pay Um, but there's ways around it and hopefully this public service program continues yeah definitely i want to ask each of you what you love most about your job and what you hate about your job (laughs) is my favorite question i mean you don't have to hate anything but what you don't like about it. I can tell you what really frustrates me and I feel like we probably feel the same way. It's just everything, whenever there's an issue and we know there's a lot of issues in healthcare, but when something comes up, people react and they say they need more education. Don't get me started. (laughs) No, it's accountability. They've received the education. They've been deemed competent. They know they're just not doing it. Mm -hmm. 
that frustrates me. And being in the position that we're in, you know, overseeing education and patient outcomes and whatnot, you know, we have to track a lot of data and always implementing best practices and things like that and trying to come up with new innovative ways to do things. And so we do our research and we make sure we're doing the right things by our staff. And then when they just don't do it, it, that's really frustrating. It comes down on you. Yeah, because they say, okay, we need to educate. And a lot of times it'll be just an isolated thing. It's like, was it one person? Was it an entire unit? Or is this happening throughout the whole hospital? So we follow, you know, a very um, evidence-based approach to educating and validating competency. And so we we have that to back us up when we're, you know, speaking with whoever might say, oh, we need education. They need education. Right, right. Yeah, that can be frustrating. But what do you love about it? (laughs) It's the impact that we have. You know, when I was a bedside nurse I was taking care of that patient in the moment and I was making an impact for that patient which was really great and it felt awesome when I became a nurse educator I impacted my entire unit of staff who then were taking care of the patient so it felt like it it was that big of an impact right and then now I feel like in my position um it's like you know quadruple that and I can I have the impact on the nurse educators who then have the impact on the staff who then have the impact on the patients and then with the magnet recognition program what that is it's really um, highlighting nursing excellence so my team and I are responsible for submitting that document and hopefully you know Bay State will be recognized as a five-time magnet organization that's what we're going for wow we're currently four-time magnet designated which is pretty hard to achieve and so five time will put us in the top less than one percent of hospitals worldwide worldwide do you guys hear that (laughs) bay state in massachusetts that's like a big deal it's a big deal and you're a huge part of that yeah we pretty much like we run that program both of you Well, so technically, yeah, Yeah, I mean, technically it's my department, but, you know, Magnet is about, like I said, nursing excellence, but we have to demonstrate um, professional nursing practice. So people need to be certified. We want more nurses to have their BSN. So there's a piece of that. And then the nursing research aspect of it, you know, getting those really great empirical outcomes. So it's, it's a lot of different factors that go into it. You know, we're not really the ones doing it. It's highlighting the clinical staff but we have to make sure that we have the stories to support it. That's a big deal. It's exciting. I think, what did we say? There was like 42 hospitals that have achieved Magnet five consecutive times. So it's consecutive? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So it's a four-year designation and you can reapply um, You know, after the four years. So we're in the middle of our fifth application, which we'll submit in August, which is really exciting. So we're like this close. And Good so luck. once it gets accepted, ANCC comes in, the appraisers, and they basically say everything we wrote in the document is in fact happening. And then we would achieve that designation, which is really, wow. really awesome. All right. So love and hate. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm going to start with hate, not to be a Debbie I'm Downer. Like, no, I like, like that you both started with <laughs> yeah. hate. I'm with Katie on everything is not an education issue. But I will say the thing that frustrates me the most in my current role is that folks think that it's easy to educate people. And it might look easy, which is a testament to our teams, but it's not easy. There's an assessment. We're assessing why don't you know it? What don't you know? The whole thing, pieces of it. Um, did you misunderstand? And then then we're basing our approach on how to educate you based on the gap analysis. And so we're deciding, is it going to be a read and sign? Should we sit down and do a class? Should we teach everyone? Is it a couple nurses that missed a memo? So there's a lot that goes into it. And we find sometimes that everyone thinks um, 
you know, it just looks easy and it's not. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of theoretical um, basis behind it. We use the Donna Wright model for competency assessment. We use the Benner model to assess our learners to determine from novice to expert. And then we we use the Iowa model for our, for our evidence-based practice. So there is a lot of theoretical basis behind it. And I find that my team gets really frustrated that someone will say to them, well, they need to educate this way. And I'll say, so we don't tell you how to do your job. Uh-huh. I think you should help us. <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, we're doing our job our own way. Yeah. So that's the thing that frustrates me the most. And I I'm a huge advocate for my team, no matter who my team is. I'm very protective. Katie knows. And so I love to be able to say that I'm at the table and I'm advocating for them. And I'm helping have these difficult conversations that if we decide that one nurse or one staff member did something wrong and we should just educate everybody, then we're going to actually offend the nurses or the staff that know. Right. So if you know something well and I say to you, I need to educate you about it you're going to be offended and you might actually disengage. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful. You can't just assume and you can't just approach everything the same way. Yeah. And how do you not overload people with like new protocol emails and things like that? Because that's my problem, right? Like I've gotten to the point where I'll admit it, like I cannot read multiple emails a day of a new protocol. And so I'll skim through and I'll be like, does this apply to me? Not really. Eh." And then I'll move on. But if it applies to me i'll read it but it's like it's a lot it's so much every day and there's always something new and always constantly changing so like how do you we we try to very carefully manage the cadence of initiatives that get rolled out and we had one last year we had a a really important one that we were training the inpatient nurses on doing columbia suicide screenings super important we wanted to make sure everybody had the information they needed to be successful keep their patients safe and right on the heels of that, they wanted us from the system to roll out bedside communication strategies. And and we spoke up and we said, you know, we can do one thing really well or we can do a lot of things mediocre. And so how important is this? We need to wait. And we had the support of our CNOs across the whole health system and they said, it's going to wait. And I just remember feeling... I'm so happy right now that they they support because we want it to be successful and we want to do it well. And so we pushed off the bedside communication a little bit longer so that we could then sit down, shift gears and do it right. Yeah, I think you lose a lot when you're trying to do a million things at once, like you said. You can do one thing really well or you could do a lot of things like mediocre. Right. And then we prioritize like, is this a regulatory thing you know what do we have to do first um so we can we look at it from a lot of different angles to decide what we're going to work on and what can wait yeah people hopefully the people watching this are going to be people who want to be in your position one day and i think like the most honest amount of detail you can give the better i'm not trying to just make a podcast about oh hi i'm a pa i love my job be a pa like you need to be honest yeah you need to be honest this will bring me to i guess my next question since we're kind of already getting to that burnout how do you deal with it because it's in every aspect of medicine but i feel like just based on me being on tiktok and social media the burnout is real people are leaving their nursing jobs there's the whole like hiring traveling nurses and and getting rid of nurses who've been there for a long time so how do you guys manage this whole burnout exodus i mean i feel really strongly about it i think when i when i hear the word burnout i reflect back to running a hospital during covid Mm -hmm. and I had so much concern for the staff's well-being mm-hmm. 
because in the beginning it was about fear. You know, we all learned Maslow's and if you don't feel safe, you can't do your job well. And I remember going in every morning at 7am with my physician colleague. I would text him and say, we're going in. And he's like, it's Sunday, Gina, we're going in. And he'd say, all right, because I was an hour away commute and he's 20 minutes. I'll be there. So I remember we would round and we would go directly to the COVID units in, you know, the critical care and the acute care. And I would say, do you have the information, the supplies and the staff that you need? And they would say, yes. And I, I think as leaders, it's really important to be aware of what your presence does, not what you say, but your presence is reassuring. It makes people feel safe. You don't have to say anything, but just be there. And uh, I did this seven days a week for several months. And I remember one day, one of my critical care float nurses said to me, why are you here? And I said, I just want to make sure you guys are okay. And he said, we're okay now. And I remember thinking, I get the chills, like they are okay now. But I think in the beginning, we didn't know if we were okay. We didn't know if any of us would be okay. Yeah. And I just needed to know that they felt safe. And I think that was the thing for me. And when it comes to burnout, you know, we're exhausted and, and, our presence is super important to make sure that the staff know that we are there Mm -hmm. and we might not have the answers and we might not know what to do, but we're not going to leave them alone. And I think the thing that worries me the most is the overtime and the incentives to work more because it took me a solid eight months after leaving that position Mm -hmm. to feel like myself again. And I wasn't even frontline. And so I think gee, the front line, somebody needs to make sure they're taking time off and they're doing something away from work that fills their cup and really disengaging because that's the only way we're going to get everyone back to being themselves again. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I'm a big proponent of mental health care and, and I don't know how you handled it at your hospital, but I think like providing somebody for people to talk to, I know my hospital implemented that during COVID. We do something called listening circles. So we have a very active holistic nursing program. Um, We have a director who oversees that program and a lot of nurses who are trained in holistic modalities and even certified. So it's huge. It's super supported by our chief nurse um, and it's wicked important. And it's making an impact. So a few of our holistic nurses um, provide listening circles. So whether it be there was a really difficult outcome with a patient, you know, a bad code or, you know, things that happen in the pediatric um, realm a lot. So they'll go and they'll just sit with staff. And it's a safe space. They're free to speak as much as they want or as little. And it's just, again, like to Gina's point, that presence and that somebody's there and they're listening and they do care. And sometimes strategies do come out of those listening circles of ways that they can help cope in the future. Um, And then just self-care. It's promoted throughout the whole organization. We have um, respite rooms where people can go and just take a break. There's massage chairs. Really? Yes. I've been trying to tell people at my hospital to get massage chairs. I would love that. How many now? I wish we, I knew. How many? Like 11 rooms. There's a chair in every room. 11 or 12. Our ambulatory sites too. Yeah. And so there's, um, you know, coloring pages and like soft music. There's, Yeah. yeah, there's guided imagery, the massage chairs, like I said, there's yoga mats so people can go and they get used. They really do. So we really encourage, you know, the nurse leaders to come and take over and let, you know, watch the patient assignment so that the staff can go and take that much needed break. So self-care, taking time off, recognizing and celebrating a lot um, and just getting back to basics with just 
general basic nursing care. Yeah, too, because when we look at our engagement scores, the resiliency scores are higher on the units that have a strong holistic team. That makes sense. I think the holistic thing started as something to do for your patients, but then COVID came and we could see these um, holistic certified nurses sharing techniques with each other. And, you know, what works for me might not work for you. I might really get a lot out of uh, aromatherapy and you might be more of a yoga person. And, but it's having all these modalities to access that whatever works for you, do it. And, and giving each other permission, like you need to take your break because we're not great at doing that. Right. Yes. I know. I know. I feel like all of us in healthcare, it's like my friends who are in healthcare, they're like, Oh, I'll meet you for your lunch break. I'm like, what lunch break? Um, So yeah, no, it's very important to take time. I started going on like mental health walks when the weather was nice or just like getting out of the office and going outside. That's what we do. We do sun in your eyes. The loop around the hospital is just under a mile. Oh, so we do that. Um, Whenever we can. Yeah, it changes the game. It's so important for sure. I love that your hospital has all these things. Is this becoming more of a common thing in hospitals? It is. Yeah. And honestly, like we go to conferences like the Magnet Conference we were just at um, this past October and we presented um, in front of thousands of people on becoming a you know a holistic model of care in a magnet organization and i can't tell you how packed that room was really um and how many people came up to the speakers after and just were asking for strategies and then we had presented on our uh, nurse residency program which gina oversees and people are still emailing saying hey i saw you at the conference and so it really is putting Bay State on the map it's really exciting to see that we're doing all these amazing things and other hospitals are like can you give me more information we want to do that yeah they're yeah. following what you doing it's awesome that's really big yeah. i love that you guys are like leading the pack here well we wouldn't yeah we have really great support yeah, from our leaders Good. too that's important um, right we wouldn't be able to do anything what we're doing without that support so kind of like how they had your back yeah and i think that it's okay for us to ask questions and yeah and have some courageous conversations and yeah. it, you know i i think that's key to our success for Mm -hmm. sure yeah and they say like when you are afraid to ask questions and afraid to speak up that's when mistakes happen that's when patients get hurt right so it's so important to have that all right another cool question so would you guys do anything different in your path to being where you are now do you have any regrets i think i think i had a lot of years experience as a bedside nurse which was really important so i think that I did right. And then when I became an educator, I was only in that position for a year um, before I got recruited to move on. I think I probably could have gained a lot more experience being an educator for a little bit longer. I don't know. I mean, I love I love being a nurse leader, but I think I still have a lot to learn. I don't know if I would do anything differently. I mean, it is always a goal. I do want to go back to school at some point and get another degree because I think you're always learning. So um, true. So not that that's something I would do differently. I don't know. I don't think I would change anything. I feel like I draw on all of it. You know, I think the self-awareness of, I always say, you know, what do I bring to the situation? Am I making it better or am I making it worse? Because your self-awareness is important. There's been times I've walked away and thought, well, I could have handled that better. And so there's times where I feel like I really helped and I really contributed. And I think that there's plenty of times where Katie and I sit down and I'll say, you know, when I was a DON, I remember learning X, Y, and Z. And I draw from a little bit from all of it, the good and the bad. Yeah. Awesome. I just thought of something. I noticed the difference from when I did my undergrad versus my master's degree. And I feel like when I did my master's degree, I was 
a professional nurse at the time. I was a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and I really took full advantage of learning right. everything. Like I actually read the books yeah, and I did all the yeah. things as compared to my undergrad when you just like, you don't even open a book. You just like rush through it all and you just yeah. get it just to check the box. Exactly. I kind of wish I paid more attention because like, and honestly listening to Gina speak sometimes with her critical care experience, like I'm just blown away. And I'm like, I wish I knew, I, I just wish I learned more because I feel like there was definitely more to learn during that time had I mm-hmm. gave more of myself and paid more attention. But you know, you're in college and right. you're young, you're like, do. we just got to get through this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I think every specialty is so unique. Like one year in the ER and I'm blown away. I mean, even being a critical care nurse for all these years, being in the trauma room is nothing like being an ICU nurse. It's a whole different world. And, yeah. you know, you take for granted that the patient comes up to you all stabilized and packaged into a bow. (laughs) And you might not think it looks that way, but if you were in the trauma room, you would say, yep, they look a lot better than they did a couple hours ago. Right. That's a good point. Very humbling to be in a different environment and not take things for granted. I think about the ED where there's a doctor everywhere. And in the ICU, I'm used to having to page somebody sometimes multiple times. So when the ED says, well, I don't understand why you can't take the patient right now. Well, if I don't have orders, I also don't have a doctor. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why the inpatient areas need the orders and have to have a few things in place because I can't just say, hey, you know, I I need you at the bedside. So it's tricky, but we learn a lot. Back to the the burnout thing. So how is staffing now? Like, has it gotten better since COVID? Are people trying, like, kind of coming back and staying? Yeah, we actually finally crossed the threshold of vacancies and hired staff. So, like, we now have more hired staff than we have vacancies, which is, like, hallelujah. We haven't been there probably in, like, four years. So, wow. So, you had more vacancies than hired staff? Correct. We had so many traveler staff Uh that it was just outrageous. And we know, like, that whole traveler business just exploded throughout the pandemic. Like, it got way out of control. It's sizzling down now. And we're hiring dedicated staff, which is really great. And, um, but I think... We have a lot of staff who are on orientation still. Okay. So with the staff who are, you know, they're hired and they're permanent, but they're still orienting and then the travelers are leaving. So it yeah. still feels like staffing is tight because okay. they're not 100% yeah, productive. We're not there yet. I feel like, and also the, you know, experience level is so much lower. There's not a lot of experienced nurses begging to work in the hospital anymore. No. They know that it's rough. And I think the other factor is how the patients treat you is yeah. so different. It yeah. used to be safe and I, I i mean the way society is right now it's really scary yeah i think social media plays a big role in that it is scary you never know you don't know what to believe also like yes the patients should ad- advocate for themselves but i think people don't always know exactly what that means right, right? Mm-hmm. or like the family doesn't really know what that means so they're overcompensating and it makes it hard for us but i think it's you know it's just going to evolve it will. And and it's cyclical. I think we'll get there. But um, yeah, the staffing's not quite there. We are slowly making progress. We have travelers that have signed on to stay, yeah. which is always a good sign. The travel rates have dropped a little bit, but we, we still have work to do. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, people are certainly still feeling the burnout, 
but again, back to the point of just the self-care and supporting them through that and taking time off and making time for themselves is really important. Encouraging them to take time off too. Exactly. I'm a big proponent of time off. Like <laughs> I'm like, I, I always get mad. Like I, I get mad when people don't have enough time off. How much do you get? Like how many weeks or days does do your nurses So get, it accrues. So the longer you've been there per paycheck, it you accrue your personal time more rapidly I guess you could say so and it gets to a certain point where you just stop recurring so I feel and the longer you're there you accrue more so I think I have like I cut off at like 280 hours of personal time before it just stops recurring and I can either cash it in or use it or whatever in a leadership role it's a little bit differently Um, we are salaried staff we're not hourly so like I you know um, I can, it's a little bit more flexible when we can take time off or work remotely. Um, for the bedside staff, typically they will get, I want to say their summer, um, vacation so they can take a week and then usually there's like another week, but it's really their personal time so they can use it however they want. Okay. Yeah. So like how many, would you say, do they take three weeks off a year? And it's more than that, maybe four and it's one bank, which I love. So if you don't call out, you get vacation time. That's great. You don't lose it. So I love that it's one bank. So sick time, vacation time, personal time, whatever it is. And then there's you know, it's protected to a certain point. So like if you don't have a planned day off and you have to, you know, call out for whatever reason, um, they have a certain, you know, amount of hours that are protected before it starts to count against them. Good. I approve. (laughs) No, it's huge. I always tell my team too, if they're taking the day off, I'm like, why are you answering emails? Like, what are you doing? Take the day off, disconnect, like just please disconnect. And so I try to roll model that too by making sure I do the same thing that I'm telling them to do. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just get so passionate about it because it's such a big deal to take time off take time for yourself and when people don't use it like i'm like no you got to use your time right right? what's the sense of working if you're not going to enjoy it exactly and i travel a lot so where i've developed these thought processes processes is from like going to europe and meeting Europeans and they're like oh I'm taking a three-month vacation and I'm like how they're like well, that's just normal for us this is what we do and, and I'm like this is amazing you know and I think in Germany they get something like six to seven weeks off minimum a year and um, they're in, in Spain most people just don't work the whole month of August. I don't know how hospitals run in Spain in August, but they're all gone. They're all like on vacation. So, but it's it's just so different here. I think in the U.S. we have this like, oh, we have to work. We we live to work. That's like your status is like how hard you work and how much you work is like some. It's turned into some sort of like you know rite of passage. Like when people are like, well, I didn't take a lunch break today. I'm like, that's not something to brag about. That's dumb. Exactly. (laughs) I think I haven't taken a lunch break twice in my entire nursing career. And it's because like someone was like actively having an, you know, an emergency, a code or something like that. So it wasn't by choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's become this weird thing. It is. It's weird. Or like working, you know, after you get home and answering emails or jumping on or logging in on the weekend. I'm like, why were you doing that to yourself? So I don't. You know, it's illegal to work on the weekends in in France. That's fantastic. That is so good. We should make that lie. I know. Yes. <laughs> I know. We should talk about the CECs, yeah. the clinical education coordinators. Yeah. What are CECs? 
we have these clinical education coordinators. So it's non-masters prepared, so not an educator, but maybe someone that might want to be an educator. And it started with Katie having this central team that supports the house. So they're there from 3P to 3A. And they're a resource, right? Thinking about how new all the staff is and there's no longer a guaranteed seasoned nurse on the floor to call and ask questions. And so these are clinical experts from the hospital that you can ask anything. What's, where's this policy? Where's this procedure? I don't know how to manage this pump or can you help me put an NG tube in or a Foley? It's, it's really, you call them about anything. And if they don't have the answer, they know someone in the hospital that might. So now what's happened is some of the floors now have their own CECs or service line. So they've popped up everywhere and it's an off shift somebody that's an experienced nurse that's a resource. Right. And I love it. And they won't get pulled into the count. So you know, a lot of times the way that the staffing is on the unit, like I'm the charge nurse for the day, I don't have any patients, but then all of a sudden, you know, we get this influx of patients and I can't put all my nurses up to, you know, they they're maxed out, they can't take anymore. So now here I am, the charge nurse with an assignment, like the clinical education coordinator, because they'll never get pulled into the staffing mix, which is great because, you know, they can, they have the availability to take calls, they round on the units, they can be consulted for a number of things. And so they can just jump in and help with whatever that need might be. They'll help with nursing tasks too, like medicating patients or transporting them to a procedure or whatever it may be, discharges or something. So yeah. I would love someone to call when I have a question about like just it putting in orders. Like I'm exactly. like, do you guys know? Does anyone around me know what to do here? But it would be great if I could yeah, just call. And they somebody. get utilized. They're a newer role. They've been around probably like two years now. Yeah. Um, and it's just taken off. They're awesome. They're fantastic. So we can't talk enough about them, how great they are. That's a cool program. Are a lot of hospitals implementing this or is this just something you guys created? So we heard about it um, at the Magnet Conference. I forget what hospital it was. One of the children's hospital. They called it something else, but yeah. it was the same. It role. was a similar role. So I think it is catching on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like it. Oh, I, re- I realized what I was going to say about taking time for yourself, taking time off. I think Gen Z is figuring this out. I think you're right. And (laughs) I don't know. Actually, I want to know how you guys feel about like the younger nurses coming up because I've had experience with younger PAs now. I precept PAs sometimes and at least in the OR. And it's kind of it kind of throws me off sometimes where they're like, oh, it's for I'm leaving. Bye. And I'm like, oh okay bye like I don't know if I would have done that as a student because I was there to like learn and get the most out of it but I kind of respect the respect I have for their time yeah because I would have just sat in the OR till midnight right. and then like <laughs> until someone let, told me to go you know so how do you guys feel about well, this it's funny because people will say oh you know millennials or but I feel like they grew up watching their parents mm-hmm. not be appreciated for being loyal to companies mm-hmm. so in my opinion that's why they have this gig mentality like where did it get my parents like my father worked for the travelers for 27 years and was told okay it's time to go well what did that what did that teach me right right so i i don't fault them for having that perspective and honestly it's um it's kind of refreshing like you know it's flipped the scale a little bit the thing i find that's interesting i love that they they value their time and they're definitely you know that's that's something different from previous generations but the thing i've noticed too though is with these newer staff coming in it's the work ethic is very different and not to say that they don't do a good job like when they they get hired and they're taking care of patients like they do a good job but i think 
they're just they know there's a lot of opportunities and so if it's just not working out they have no problem just walking away right which i'm like oh my gosh i you know i was a bedside nurse for 10 years i did every other weekend every other major holiday i took the shuttle like i was supposed to they want to be able to park on campus they don't want to work weekends they it's so different and i'm like no you have to put in your time yeah 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 there's a it's a balance and so you know if if it's hard and they're just like no i don't feel like doing this anymore like they're fine just walking away from all the school that they just did and the job that they just got and just doing something else yeah because they know there's like a million different opportunities out there that they could do so that's very different like i feel like and i don't know if that's work ethic is the right word maybe it's just like you're being i don't know dedicated to and there's also you know there's a business to run there's patients on the weekend that need care yeah so i appreciate that you want your weekend off but who will be here right right (laughs) yeah yeah i think it's commendable how they respect themselves in their time but put in your time first yeah. if that makes sense right we all had to do we that. all had to do that yeah and we could talk about the shuttle all day long <laughs> <laughs> there's a shuttle oh yeah parking and shuttle yeah. that's a big a big um, pain point for people yeah all, all right, right so, so last question i usually ask everyone on this show is what piece of advice if there's one piece of advice you could give to a current student or a nurse looking to get to your position like a leadership role management role kind of thing trust in yourself just know you can do it it's hard it's It's gonna be hard there's gonna be hard days you're gonna feel discouraged you're going to make mistakes you're going to you know do the wrong thing sometimes you're gonna you make the wrong decision but you just need to trust in yourself and trust in the process and know that you have a team and rely on your coworkers because you can't do it alone. Yeah. I mean, I still teach clinical for students and I spend the whole first day building confidence. They're terrified to walk in that room. And I spend the whole first day, we find these wonderful patients that will let seven of us go in the room and do a head to toe seven times. And <laughs> by the time they leave the room, they feel, I can see their body language that they feel better yeah. about how to ask questions, how to approach a patient. And I think to go one step further, I would also say, pick your manager mm-hmm. when you pick your job because who you work for matters. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. If If you don't vibe or respect your manager it's not going to go well for sure and and the other way around if they don't respect you exactly i think we can learn a lot from the people we teach and precept you gotta ask questions don't be you know you don't have to feel like you're expected to know everything it's okay to ask questions and challenge things so and it's okay to have a bad day the the goal is to have more good than bad but a bad day doesn't define you Mm -hmm. and it doesn't define the organization you know we can all remember our worst shift yeah Yeah. but we made it and we're still here so you know i think it's okay to say well that was a horrible shift but tomorrow's a new one Mm -hmm. you know yeah and i think it's so important to let them know that they're appreciated yes i mean my boss is so good at that like just pulling us aside and being like I'm so happy to be working with you. Yeah. You know, just just something simple. Like that's all it takes. And then you're like, you're having a bad day and you're like, oh, okay. Like yeah. it's not that bad. Yeah. You know? They still love me. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to add about your jobs, future nurses? Like what do you, anything else at all? Come work at Bay State. It's amazing. <laughs> We're slightly biased, but yeah. No, I've been there my whole career. It's so great. There's so many opportunities for just advancement in your professional um, you know, career and just 
different opportunities. And I've always had somebody cheering me on along the way, whether it's been um, a boss or a coworker or it's awesome. And everyone's always encouraging you to go to that next step. So I just think Bay State is awesome. I Like I said, I, I started there as a new grad and um, made my way up to the position I'm at now. And I don't plan on leaving. So I mean, I would say Bay State too. I did leave and I came back home, Um, but I felt like I needed to just go have a little adventure. But I also think, uh, what do I love about nursing? I think, you know, nursing did find me. And one of the nice things about it is it's great if you have ADD or you get bored easily, right? I can be a maternity nurse tomorrow. I became an ear nurse. Who in a million years would have ever, you know, you don't have to go back to school to reinvent yourself. And I remember having this conversation with one of my docs and just saying, I, I feel bad that like, what if you've gone to medical school all these years and you don't love it with nursing? It's so versatile. And even being a PA, right? You can change your specialty tomorrow. You could work from home and you could do insurance. You could do, I mean, you can do anything. I can work weekends only and still get health care and support my family. It's really one of the most versatile careers, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. Yeah. You know, and but it's, it's fun and rewarding. It's so rewarding. You get a lot of good stories to tell. (laughs) Oh, we could write a book. Yes. I think you guys have given our listeners a lot to think about, and I think they're going to find this episode really, really helpful. So if you're looking to go into nursing school or you're a nurse and you just want to advance your career, go back, rewind this episode, listen again. (laughs) And uh, also, don't forget to subscribe. This is how I know that you guys want to keep seeing more. You can subscribe on YouTube, and that'll be the video podcast and then all the listening platforms. Thank you guys so much. This is really eye-opening especially for me because i'm a pa right so like like i work with nurses every single day but i don't know really what goes into it fully and it also a lot of things that you said made me appreciate management and leadership a little bit more like maybe i will pay attention to the emails (laughs) a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) but oh for real like thank you so much this was awesome thanks for having us us. yeah This is the So You Want to Work in Healthcare podcast with new episodes every month. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest releases.